Welcome to Armchair Expert, experts on expert. We have a very fun, exciting guest today, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. You probably recognize Sanjay from his work on CNN. He is their in-house medical expert. He covers an array of topics for them. He's won an Emmy doing that. Do you know that, Monica? I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised at all. He also does cool specials. And, mm -hmm. and in fact, he's here uh, to talk about a docu-series that he's doing yeah. on who is crushing it around the globe with different health aspects. Yeah. There are people that are doing it well, and we would be wise to model ourselves after it's them. It's called Chasing Life. Chasing Life with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. On CNN, it's going to be a fantastic program. Now, in all honesty, we had a small window with Sanjay. Ugh, and too then small. traffic intervened. Yeah. And it cut that down even shorter. So just know this was a thrilling 50 minute interview for us that we wanted to go on for two, three hours. And I'm going to I'm gonna be the first to say, he's coming back. Yeah, our apologies for it being too short and because you are definitely going to be wanting more. Yeah, because he as is are we. juicy. Yeah, he's and great. He's really fantastic. So please enjoy Sanjay Gupta. Also, just a reminder, tomorrow tickets for our live show in Seattle go on sale at 10 a.m., Pacific, Pacific time. time. Go to our website. There'll be a link there to get tickets. ArmchairExpertPod.com. Please enjoy the good doctor. We are supported by Sleep Number. Oh, mattresses can be a pretty big purchase. It's kind of like a home. You and your partner have to shop around for one that you'll both love that's comfortable and suited to your preferences. Well, I'm about to make your lives a whole lot easier. Instead of hopping around from store to store, just check out Sleep Number Smart Beds. They're designed for you and your partner's ever-evolving sleep needs. When you see it, you'll know it's the one. I mean, this just changed the lives of my bride and I. The fact that we didn't have to compromise on the firmness of the mattress and the fact that it can evolve as we evolve is incredible. Sleep Number is great because it's all about what you need. You can adjust the firmness to your ideal settings on each side, perfect for couples. The smart beds respond and adjust to your movements throughout the night to help you sleep better. My Sleep Number is an 85. Whether you need something with more support or something to help quiet the snores, Sleep Number has you covered. So sleep better together with a Sleep Number smart bed. It's the only bed that lets you make each side firmer or softer whenever you like your Sleep Number setting. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are supported by New Balance. Whether you're going for your first ever jog around the park, getting ready for a marathon, or even picking up the pace on the last stretch before you get home, if you run, you're a runner. Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance. Run your way. Visit newbalance.com slash running to learn more. He's an armchair expert. He's an armchair expert. He's an armchair expert. Sanjay, welcome to Armchair Expert. Hey, thank Experts you. on experts. You fall into the experts category, which is very distinguished. Mm-hmm. I'm honored by that, yeah. Yeah, you sh as you should be. Wow, I didn't, I didn't think of it like that. <laughs> so what was so fun for me is that uh, your folks in 1960 moved from India to 
Livonia. That's right. Where in Livonia did you live? Uh, right by the Wonderland Mall. Oh, okay. And there was an Arby's there. So Harrison, Ro yes, that's right. And a Ponderosa across the street you, by Kmart. You really know this. <laughs> did you know the B&B, &B, little drugstore? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So if you get, went down that street, that was that's where our house was. Now, it's interesting, they moved to just outside of Dearborn first. They worked at Ford, right? They're both engineers? Ford, yeah. Both? Both of them. That's yeah. that's really unique and cool. Yeah, my mom was a mechanical, my dad electrical, and, and uh, my mom was the first woman ever hired as an engineer. Really? Ford Motor Company. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that great? That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. Yeah. And she was uh, she was a partition child in 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 India. So 1947 there's this gigantic partition. India is broken up into India and Pakistan. Uh-huh. She's 4 or 5 years old, flees from what is now Pakistan to India. Uh-huh. And 12 years, lives as a refugee, lives in refugee camps. Gets into a cargo boat, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. Takes a, a cargo ship yep. to yep. India. Goes down to Karachi. And um, <laughs> it's, a, you know, it's funny when you live this life with her and it's just so, so part of your your thing and you never really talk about it. And then I hear someone like you actually know the story. It's, it's all bonkers, wild. right? It's bonkers, yeah, because it's just such a part of our life. But yeah, so she then then decides she wants to... Be an engineer one day, which is uh, what? What do you know? What uh, car she worked on in particular? Was she assigned to a platform or anything? Yeah, she did a bunch of. They they, they had various cars. So the Taurus and the Taurus chassis uh -huh. was a big one shared with by the with the Sable, the Sable, the Mercury Sable. Right. Uh huh. You know your cars. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, they had a very Ford exciting Taurus, edition Sable. called the Show, the Show Taurus, which had a Yamaha, the engine super in high it. output. Yes, marine show. engine. Yeah, mm. and uh, every now and then she'd get to bring these cars home just as oh, a yeah. test, test thing. Yeah, and I was, you know, turning about fifteen, sixteen at the time, so it was it was fantastic. I similarly, we had a stepdad for a few years who was the ride and handling engineer in the Corvette group. So he not only brought a home Corvettes before they came out, but they also owned all these competitive vehicles. So he would have Lotus Esprit, oh, Ferrari, right. a Lamborghini Countach. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Was it worth it in the end? But it was very cool. <laughs> right. But no, it, so Livonia now, my so my grandparents lived at um, um, on off of Merriman between five and six. Yep. And I spent all my summers there. And my grandma taught at Stevenson High, but oh, you didn't yeah. go there. You went to Novi, huh? I went to Novi. We moved at, at some point in their um, uh, eighth grade, uh, end of eighth grade. I, we moved a few times because it was Dearborn, we were in Livonia, uh, and even with Livonia, we moved a couple times. And it's funny because I still go back, and I'm n no family there anymore. My parents left, but but I still go back and 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 check out the old neighborhood. And yeah, it's, it's wild to go back. It really is, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, there is such a um, specific atmospheric feeling in Michigan, especially if you're there like late spring, early summer. There's just a quality to the air for me that is so nostalgic. Yeah. And I just, I, I find it intoxicating. So I, I too go back just to get that kind of high of that late spring, early summer feeling. I, I totally know what you mean. And it's funny because people talk about the Midwest and they, you know, the values and it's just a good place and all that. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can talk about all that, but, but you're right. There's something that's less, less easily, you know, defined. It's yes. the smell, it's the feel of the place. And there's something visceral there for me. Yeah. Now 
Novi High, not a ton of diversity. I can't imagine that you had a ton of... I I, I think I was the only Indian kid. I, I think I may have been the only kid that had any color in my skin at all. Sure. Know, when I was going to school there. Interesting, I have a brother who's 10 years younger than me. He also went to school there, and it, and it had started to change at that point. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and it's funny, when you're, when you're the only person who's a person of color, you then are ascribed... Every ethnicity. Oh, absolutely. World, right? Yeah, you just fill in for all of them. <laughs> He's like, yeah, is he Iranian? <laughs> sure. Is he Indian. Well, Pakistan? we have a huge Arab po population in Detroit, so yeah, I'm sure people right. thought you were Chaldean sometimes. Something, and, exactly. Yeah. It was all that. And it was a good school. I had a good experience, but I think no matter what, when you're the only guy that's different, Mm -hmm. uh, there's, I don't know what I would call it. I guess it's it, it's more xenophobia because it's not even, like racism would, would, would imply that they somehow even knew what my race was. Sure, and then felt superior to that given yeah. race. This this was more like, he's another. Yes. Other. Yes. You know, and so I'm going to have a fear of others, mm -hmm. you know, and so there was a little bit of that. And then, you know, everything. So it's your name, it's the type of food you eat. It's your religion, it's yeah. your parents' names. You know, it's it, it's, just, it's just weird. Well, Monica as well is first generation. I know, and a half. Yeah, her, we don't her, really know how to no, say. Her, her, it. her yeah. mother did grow up in Savannah, but mm -hmm. dad did move right? from yeah. India. Gotcha. But yeah. she's Indian, your mom. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But they moved when she was six, so she really grew up there. Oh, oh uh, Monica's a hundred percent pure. We we did the twenty three and me, and she is as pure as it gets. Yeah, nothing <laughs> else in there. Yeah, 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 proud of it. But she yeah. similarly grew up in in Atlanta, Georgia, mm -hmm. and Got so it. she very much wanted to be white. Did Big you? Time. Oh yeah, did everything I could to be as white as possible, just to fit in. Is it yeah, I mean, I, I I assume. I mean, I it happened so early that I wouldn't really be able to pinpoint like, oh, I'm doing this now. But I'm sure it was just wanting to fit in with everybody else and being accepted. And did you? How did your parents? Uh, how how did those conversations go with them about that? Or do they, did you even have conversations? If I could say I, I, from as an outsider, the very progressive, not, not as traditional as you would imagine. Oh, they're not traditional at all. Uh. But I mean, of course, when I would come home and say like, I wish I had blonde hair or something, <laughs> like they'd be like, my mom would just roll her eyes at most of those comments, but she right. wouldn't really, she did, we didn't really have many big conversations about it. I mean, I wish we had, because she probably could have said, like, why that was wrong. But she was just like, Ugh, just, okay. Just watch Friends and <laughs> yeah. yeah, do all the white girl stuff. Yeah. Um, but but we had another, we had a guest on here, Reshma. Kind of similar dynamic as Monica, and then went the other way. So it's kind of like you can either really yes. assimilate or you can attempt to assimilate and it doesn't work. So then you find your tribe. And in Reshma's case, she ended up hanging out with other Southeast Asian folks that she assembled kind of a crew yeah, yeah. of some Asian kids. And so, you know, so what was your method? My, well, so it's interesting. Um, I don't know how old you were when you wanted to be white, but when I was a kid, uh, <laughs> well, she's 31. Probably. <laughs> but I wanted to change my name. Oh, sure. I wanted to be Steve. Sure. That's as American as it gets. Yeah, and it was Steve Austin. <laughs> yeah. Six million dollar man. Yeah. You're too young for that. You don't remember. I that. know it. Okay, all right. <laughs> but Steve Austin. So, and, and my name started with an S. So, Steve, you know, it seemed like a very, and that was going to fix everything. Oh, right? sure, sure. Went yeah. to my mom. And it's interesting. I, I told my mom, and I think I was probably six, seven years old. And in, interestingly now, especially when I look back on it, her immediate response was, all right, let's do it. Uh huh. You know? 
Like maybe that was a thing she could give me. Sure. Because she maybe recognized that uh, maybe it is hard for, you know, a yeah. little Indian kid in a very, very homogenous small town. In I'm going to add blue collar to that mix blue too. We live you know? in a very blue collar town. Yes. You know, I mean, where we lived on Harrison Street, that street, I mean, you know this area, but but that that was that was blue collar town. Oh, my was grandpa it? was in the Wonder Bread Bakery Union. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was a lot very... of union workers, a lot of line workers, mm -hmm. you know, wonderful place to live. But that's what it was. And, and then she said to me, are you sure you want to do this? You know, I mean, because, you know, uh, maybe you shouldn't uh, try and be like everybody else. It was sort of that, that same thing that your friend Rashma, I guess, went through. Do I assimilate? Do I not? And I, I decided that I did not want to yeah. assimilate. And I'll tell you, I, I, I think that was a, like a really pivotal point in sure. my life. Because the idea then of embracing your your differences, I didn't really necessarily go hang out with a lot of South Asians after that or, or anything in particular. But I think for the first time, I saw myself as an individual. Oh yeah, which yeah. I know is kind of a weird thing to say, especially when you're five or six years old. But it was, but I still remember that really well. Well, no, as a comedian, that's the uh, the end goal, and it can take people thirty years to find their voice, basically. And to, to, and to be distinctive. Yeah, yeah, to, be, to own yeah. what they, their difference is and right. not run from them. And here's another thing, and I'll just throw a hypothetical at you. You're obviously an incredible student, right? You, you ended up going to U of M. And yep. uh, uh, do you believe that had you been super embraced mm -hmm. and busy uh, riding bikes and building forts with all the uh, blue-collar white kids, would, would studies have had the same priority? Do, is your life on a different... Are you at a vantage point now that you could go, oh, well, that thing that was challenging probably defined me and made me the person I want to be? That's a really good question. I, I, I think that what I would say is that I think the difference was I was able to dig deep into topics that interested me because I wasn't out building forts, riding bikes, and stuff like that. Yeah. I think I could have done well in school without having to dig deep into those topics and just and, saved all that for college maybe yeah right and and so i i was able to have more interests um you know uh, some of them were academic some of them were just interests i got interested in history i got interested in uh, like I was going, thinking about medicine, but I wasn't sure. But I got interested in the history of medicine. Just like how did how, it's a I pretty gory history. It is. Yeah. Gory. Like, <laughs> at what point do you think, okay, it's okay for me to cut somebody open and try and heal them? Like, <laughs> sure. It, like it's just that pivotal inflection point. In medicine was so interesting. Or even to me. didn't they like during the Enlightenment they would take uh, they were like paying grave guys to yes. get in there and open up some bodies because they right. really weren't allowed to that's how you that's how they started to to learn anatomy and the early stuff's based on like equestrian stuff right that's like they right. they cut up horses and they're like i guess this is probably this maps on pretty well right <clears throat> body body yes yeah. yeah uh, yeah it was all it was all animals i mean it was considered you know just absolutely sacrilegious to to think about opening the body some of the first operations where they would take these flints, these kind of these sharp, hard rocks, and basically hit the skull to basically let out these bad humors and rubors and dolors. And but what's amazing about that is they were successful because there is, if you're a forensic osteologist, there they healed. That's right. Isn't that nuts? That's how do you know all that? Anthropology. Yeah, it's amazing. And I mean, it was down at the Aztecs, right? They could open up the the, the skull and and it healed. <laughs> we don't know how those patients did. We don't have a lot of medical records from back then. <laughs> right. But you know, when when somebody has trauma, which is how most people died early on, if you had trauma to the head, it, you got bleeding. And the whole thing about the skull, unlike any other place in the body, is it's hard. So if you have bleeding, the blood has nowhere to go. If you open up the skull, you just relieve some of the pressure. You can actually save somebody's life. So when that, so when that pressure builds up, 
does it start constricting the brain itself and preventing oxygen from getting yeah. like what, what's actually killing it, it at that point? There's, there's three things that are basically in the intracranial cavity in the skull cavity, the brain, mm -hmm. blood vessels and cerebral spinal fluid. Mm -hmm. And they have a, you have a fixed ratio of these things any given time. Right. When you start to add something else, in this case, blood, which is pushing on, on the brain, uh, the brain itself starts to uh, get inflamed and there's no place for it to go. So the blood vessels that are providing blood to the brain, they get, they get constricted. Okay. And, the, and so you start losing oxygenated blood to the brain. Uh -huh. And also the blood that's trying to get out of the brain can't leave. Right. So the brain starts to swell. Yeah. And, that, and that's the real problem. The brain swells. Eventually it pushes down into the spinal canal. And that's what's called herniation. That's a term that people use in the medical community. But when, some, when the brain is herniated, it means it's pushed down into the spinal canal. Oh, and interesting. And that's, that's, that's how, that's what direction death. it moves. Mm. That's what, that's, yeah, that's right. Oh, so wow. Pushes on the brain stem and you lose your ability to breathe on your own, to regulate your heart rate. And it just occurred to me, you know, everything about brains, obviously. I, I love mean, the brain. Theoretically, yeah, right, you should. Yes. Yeah. You're a neurosurgeon. Right when I decided to keep my name, that's when I started, decided to study the brain. Let's quickly, cause I think, um, m most people don't know this. And I, this was one of my f more fascinating things I learned in anthro was, was that, uh, Neanderthal, that their brain uh, was about 1650 cc's in size, and that the modern Homo sapiens sapiens like 1500. Uh. And then, so it's quite <laughs> conceivable that they were smarter than us. It's, it's, it's supposed to be a pejorative to be called a Neanderthal, but it's kind of weirdly a compliment, right? I mean, brain. You are smarter than me. No, 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 no. He just wants you to think so. so he's That's right. I had four things I <laughs> yeah. thought about. For, yeah. And I'm already through two of them, so I'm, I'm going to pace myself. You've already, yeah, you've already stumped me twice. I did not know that, but, but uh, you know, big size of brain, the, the density of, of the neurons in certain parts of the brain. And there's parts of the brain that are called eloquent parts of the brain. That is, that is what they're called. And that's because they are the most functional parts of the brain. So you're not all of your brain is, is super functional. I mean, it's more like, uh, it's more like you have a bunch of cities mm -hmm. and then you have a bunch of roads to, to allow those cities to connect. Mm -hmm. And much of the brain is the roads, but there are some cities and you want those cities to be the most densely packed, eloquent parts. Yeah. And that's what, and so it's more about those areas than the overall size of the brain. Okay. Um, now, uh, oh, also really fun too, right? Is, is convolutions, right? Explain that. Cause it's also about surface area, right? That's right. You could have a gigantic brain, but if it was smooth. You, you wouldn't have nearly the same, the same surface area. So you have all this cortex. If you unravel it, it's, it's much, much bigger than the brain itself. It's because you have the ridges and valleys. And, and this was interesting. Everyone always looked at, thought about Einstein, and they said you know, when his brain was actually examined, and it was, um, they don't know this for sure, but he seemed to have a lot more of these ridges and valleys, these convolutions within a particular area, the right parietal lobe, as it turns out. Oh, really? Which is really responsible for spatial relations, like how we actually can place ourselves in space and time. Oh, that kind of makes sense with relativity, yeah, right? Maybe, maybe that's where you know it came from for him. He just he just got some of these concepts much much more easily yeah. than other people. I, I remember that concept being explained when looking at elephant brains because they're highly convoluted, right? That's right. They that's right. Say they have yeah. incredible memory. Yeah, and then there's the you know if you go to the reptiles, you you do get much smoother brains. They're much more uh, animals of of reflex, you know. Right. And the the reflexes are are what drives most of their function as opposed to actually conscious awareness. I mean, they have conscious awareness, but you know that that's not as big a part of their their brain. Yeah.
Um, and what, what kind of things promote and or diminish brain health? Is there any, cause I was taught in biology, that's gray matter, right? Those aren't somatic cells. They don't go through mm -hmm. mitosis. It can't really heal itself. Is that all true? Or is there anything that can be promoted with your brain? We, we, I think, you know, uh, the, the long held belief was that, you know, uh, neurons as well as, as cardiac cells, once those died, you weren't going to get them back. And, and I think over the last 20, 30 years, um, people have realized that that's probably uh, not the case. Thankfully, oh, really? That you can have regrowth and you can also have uh, different areas of the brain take on different purposes, which is called plasticity. Uh, the idea that your brain can become plastic and malleable. You know, I could, you, we can point very specifically to a part of the brain, and I can tell you uh, that this is your right hand function. Uh, it'd actually be on the left side of the brain. Left, hand, left side of the brain controls the right side of the body. And if someone has a stroke right there and they lose upper extremity function, uh, at, at some point in the future, they could regain that strength because other areas of the brain close to that motor area could, could take over. Uh -huh. So the motor area does grow back, other areas start to chip in, and and that's sort of rel relatively new thinking over the last few decades. Yeah, well, that's kind of comforting. It, it is. It's t totally changed the way we think about stroke rehabilitation, brain injury overall, even things like concussions that have led to some sort of longer-term problem. Yeah, CTE, exactly. Yeah. So CTE is a big deal. It is, know. right? Yeah. 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 Ten years ago, most people in the scientific community and even the neurological community didn't think it really existed. Really? So we have had a new, uh, a new neurological disorder in our lifetime that's been defined and now accepted, uh, which is kind of, that doesn't happen very often. Right. But CTE due to concussions, typically from, you know, significant blows to the head is, is a new thing. Now, is it that the, the damaged brain itself in CTA is coming from each specific impact, or does it reach a critical mass where it now starts just destroying brain on its own? It, it appears to be due to, to, to these repeated blows to the head. So some people seem to be more vulnerable than others. Uh -huh. So even with uh, fewer hits to the head uh, at a younger age, they've already developed evidence of CTE in the brain. I personally have seen this uh, tragically in the autopsy of a 17-year-old really? football player he died. Uh, he had taken a blow to the head while playing football and then took a second blow to the head. And that's called second impact syndrome. And that's probably what led to his death. But they, you know, the family asked for an autopsy. And within his brain, he had these deposits of, of these plaques, you know, like amyloid and things that you'd see in an Alzheimer's patient. Uh -huh. You saw it in the 17-year-old's brain. Is, was, is that because there's just pooled blood in there that kind of gets... Uh, viscous or something? The, they're not. They're not sure. They 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 think that the the proteins, the amyloid and the tau that they're called, uh, are responding probably to some sort of injury. Uh -huh. um, they're not blood per se. They're proteins, you know. Uh, but they're coming in, probably in response to the brain being injured. There's been a belief that uh, if we have these infections early on in life that may not cause us to be sick, we wouldn't even know that we had them but that the brain responds to that infection and lays down all this, this amyloid and, and tau, these proteins. Mm. And then later on in life, that leads to symptoms of, of Alzheimer's, you know, memory loss mm. and, and, and functional problems. So is it an infectious disease early in life that leads to Alzheimer's later on? 
We don't know, but that, I mean, they're starting to look at all these different possibilities. I've also heard people talking uh, recently, too, about like gum health. Yes. And, and that that can migrate in, and cross the blood barrier. Is that true? That is, uh, your, your, your mouth and your gums are a potential large source of inflammation in the body. And so when you have inflammation, you know, you're basically, you're, you're, you're telling your body's immune system, release the hounds, release all the inflammatory cells. And when those inflammatory cells now are in the bloodstream, they can go anywhere. So they cross the blood-brain barrier. Ah. They can make plaques in the heart worse. So, you know, people say gingivitis associated with heart disease. Oh, wow. Explain that to me. Well, the, the common denominator is inflammation. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a huge thing. And it's a, such a simple problem to sort of, you know, address Yes, inflammation in the mouth. This is discomforting as someone with an autoimmune disease and inflammation. <laughs> you have could. autoimmune disease? Uh-huh. I have psoriatic arthritis. My wife suffers from that. She does. Yeah. I would she love does. to hear your opinion because I have a total just armchair layman's theory on all these autoimmune things, which is I think we're all allergic to a bunch of food. We just don't know what it is. And then it manifests itself in all kinds of autoimmune things. Oh, my God. Things. Oh, my God. So, look, I, I, we need like another hour, okay? Right. I'll just tell you really quickly. She And this may sound familiar to you. For her, steroids, methotrexate, Embrel, Humira, Otesla. She's been on all these drugs, yeah. right? She she did the TNF inhibitors, you know, all these things. I mean, there were times when they the doctors said, look, this is a medication that is probably going to shorten your life. Mm. It's it's cardiac toxic. It's, it's toxic to the heart, yeah. but we think it's the only thing that's going to work. Uh, but here's the reason I'm bringing that up to your point. In the end, it is quite possible uh, that she has an allergy to something known as Basalm of Peru, which is an, it's, it's a naturally occurring substance in, in Peru and trees, uh, but it's used as a food additive uh, to, to all sorts of different things. It's so ubiquitous, you don't have to label for it. Oh, wow. And they believe that the, it is an allergy uh -huh. that subsequently has caused her immune system to flare up and look like psoriatic arthritis. So she gets the, she gets the joint, you know, the joint symptoms yeah. and will get rashes in these sort of odd places and yeah. the whole thing. And it's, and it's been really wild. And by the way, I got to tell you, you know, I'm a doc and I'm a medical reporter. So I kind of know the medical system. Yeah. I don't know what it was like for you, but that was the most challenging thing oh. to navigate and figure out how to get her care. And I am so skeptical and cynical on everything. And it took me going through every single Western medical option before my wife finally forced me to go do Panchakarma cleanse with an Ayurvedic. I never say that correctly, but Ayurvedic, yeah, yes. yes. And lo and behold, after ten days with them on mung beans and rice, I had no inflammation. They gave me a diet. When I follow that diet to the letter, I'm pretty pain free. It's very hard to follow, but that by far of anything I've tried, that's been the most successful. And that's why I was just like. I mean, I don't think the Arvics know scientifically why it's working. It doesn't really matter to me, but I, I it it worked for me. It's uh, maybe a restrictive diet. It's it's yeah. insulating you from the things that maybe you're reacting to in some way. I guess you know. Yeah, and again, they didn't do blood samples, which right. is where I'm saying I don't think they were looking for markers of anything. Yet here we are. This woman said, "Here's what you're going to eat." I did it, and it worked. So, what am I going to do? 
Look, I mean, some of that stuff has just been around for a thousand years, mm -hmm. right? We always want the the double-blinded, randomized trial, the evidence. And look, I'm all for that. But yeah. the thing is that who's going to do the trial on the on the on the beans and rice diet for psoriatic arthritis? Are we going to take ten thousand people and say you eat this? 10,000 people, you eat this, and then follow them for years. and That's never going to happen. Also, to your point, they've been recording. Now, whether or not they're getting into the theoretical end of what they're recording, they have been recording the health of people for a 1,000 years, right. the Ayurvedic. So yes. it's kind of like Marconi coming up with the, the wireless transmitter. He didn't know scientifically on a physics level or chem chemical level what he was doing, but by his trial and error, he did figure it out. That's so right. Yeah. I kind of file it under that category. It's like, well, they might not know, but they know. <laughs> I, I, I think so. And I think it's too easy to, you know, frankly, and I, I'm not saying this, you know, I grew up in an Indian household. So there was, there was a lot of sort of Ayurvedic teachings, even though my parents are not doctors, but you know, in some ways it, people are very dismissive of these things. And there's a sentiment sometimes of if it's not made in America, if it's not stamps <laughs> made in America, right. that it doesn't have value or it has le less value. And first of all, some of these traditions have held up for hundreds, if not thousand years, and that's got to mean something. Yes. And then Kerala, I don't know if you went to Kerala and when you were doing the, 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 the cleanse and stuff, but that's where a lot of this stuff happens. And you have some of the highest literacy and health and, and overall, you know, sort of wellness rates in the entire country. Uh -huh. So there's, there's, there's evidence, you know, of living that sort of Ayurvedic life yeah. can be beneficial. I, and I, and I've seen it. I got a chance to go to Kerala and see that. And it's, it's pretty. It's, Where's Carol? Kerala. Kerala's That's where my parents are from. Your parents oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh. I had never been to Kerala. You know, it's, it's funny. India's country, and then you it's like 20 countries. Because yes. you can go to different places, and it's like, it doesn't even feel like India. Yeah. Kerala's on the southwest coast. It's beautiful. Uh -huh. it's, it's just this really... Yeah. Well, yeah. ironically, her parents, when they visit Santa Barbara, they, they said to her, <laughs> oh my God, we feel like we're home. I'm like, what? I That's know, not what I, I like, think of when I think what? of India. But they do think of like water the, the and beach, beach and, and yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, and probably like you know people who are healthy yeah like we think of health as like being this necessary evil thing we have to like think about our health and over there it's just part of how they live yeah you know it's just uh, which may not be that different santa barbara i don't know <laughs> right yeah yeah <laughs> and like you know you like eat and you think like i'm really gonna think about what i'm eating Right. But like, is that food functional for me? Is it going to provide something that I need later in the day? And, you know, like you may think about it with regard to a workout, like I'm going to be working out later, so I should have some more protein now. But that's just the way of life in Kerala. Yeah. Food had function. Right. Like a diet is created for a society typically on because of palate, right? It tastes good and it's got good mouthfeel. But for, for Kerala and the, and the Ayurvedic diet, the diet was created because we're looking at food and we're saying, okay, this food has this function, this food has this function, and here's what you should eat and here's the time of day you should eat it, and then we'll do the palate stuff after. I mean, the food's delicious, right. but what drove it was not palate as much as function, Yeah, which is just how I think people should eat, how humans should eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one would fill their car up with cough syrup. You know, you you understand that this exactly. thing has it. It requires fuel, a certain type of fuel, to perform the function it was designed to. You know, but you don't really approach your body that way. And no, you probably should. And also, it's stacked against us. They make it so easy for us to to just satisfy that palate and the texture. Yeah. Eat I pasta know. all day. Oh, stay tuned for more armchair expert if you dare. We are supported by Sleep Number. 
Oh, mattresses can be a pretty big purchase. It's kind of like a home. You and your partner have to shop around for one that you'll both love, that's comfortable and suited to your preferences. Well, I'm about to make your lives a whole lot easier. Instead of hopping around from store to store, just check out Sleep Number Smart Beds. They're designed for you and your partner's ever-evolving sleep needs. When you see it, you'll know it's the one. I mean, this just changed the lives of my bride and I. The fact that we didn't have to compromise on the firmness of the mattress and the fact that it can evolve as we evolve is incredible. Sleep Number is great because it's all about what you need. You can adjust the firmness to your ideal settings on each side, perfect for couples. The smart beds respond and adjust to your movements throughout the night to help you sleep better. My Sleep Number is an 85. Whether you need something with more support or something to help quiet the snores, Sleep Number has you covered. So sleep better together with a Sleep Number smart bed. It's the only bed that lets you make each side firmer or softer whenever you like your Sleep Number setting. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having you were some... not to out you. You were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be <laughs> Robin, specific. I received some texts this Yeah, I was morning. locked out of my therapy setting, <laughs> which is this attic. <laughs> but then you felt much better after. I felt much better, and I even made some apologies. Um, talking things out can be so helpful, and if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DAX. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. I got, um, I got young kids. You have yeah, young we, kids. we have all daughters. All da- yeah, all daughters. <laughs> yeah. They're sweet. I mean, it's, it's, it's the best oh, thing I in the world it. and i don't know how it's with with Kristen, but you know i kind of get to be the hero uh at, you know especially when i'm gone i come home and i'm the hero and i feel bad because you know they've been at it with mom for a couple days <laughs> when I'm gone. And I, I swoop in and i don't mean sure. i don't mean to like cut her legs off fresh patience but, yes <laughs> but she, she just gives me this look like really you're gonna come in and be fun dad all of a sudden you know <laughs> they've been arguing for three days straight <laughs> but it's just the way it goes i know that i know that relationship changes you know you know yeah. there's ups and downs with you know moms and dads with the yeah kids. but right now it's awesome yeah it's really what ages good. are they 13 12 and 10 
Oh wow, that's mm. supposed to get that's supposed to be like really on the precipice for you of, of craziness. But I'm holding my breath. Uh-huh. <laughs> right now it's good. Oh so, good. Yeah. Yeah. I have one I have one friend who who's an older friend of mine who has daughters that I witnessed go all the way through high school, stayed best friends and kind to each other. I'm like, it can happen. It can happen. I, I just know that all I needed to know is that it is possible. I I, <laughs> uh, I have a brother. I did not I didn't had no sisters, so I never knew little girls, you know, it just wasn't something that I knew. What has shocked me sometimes, and I don't know if this, your kids are still- uh, Four and six. Four and six, okay. Yeah. So they're still young, but the, the I'm amazed sometimes the way my, my girls and my, my wife talk to each other. Like, I, I mean, it's just, you're the meanest mom ever. Oh. I hate you. <laughs> I, whoa, whoa. Yes. And, and, I, and, I, and I will take them aside sometimes, <laughs> and I will say, hey, look, first of all, we're not friends, you know, just we're your parents. Just let's be clear on this. Yeah, this is yeah. not a, there's no equivalency in this relationship. <laughs> Number two is that that woman over there will be your best friend one day. So please don't say anything that you're going to like kick yourself 10 years from now and say, I wish I hadn't said that. Yeah. You know, just don't, 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 don't say anything you're going to regret, I guess. But it's amazing. Well, there, there, there seems yeah, to be a predictable it's... pattern and there's moms and daughters and then dads and sons. For me, that was a very dicey. Yeah. You yeah. Know, there's a lot of like alpha jockeying. Right. And, you right, know, sure. like, yeah. oh, really? Are you the man? Of the <laughs> I'm a little bigger than you now. Is that <laughs> right. still, we're still going with this? Yeah. Yeah, dad, but I'm still growing. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's easy to, make that person the the same gender person feel like you are going to be that yes so then whatever they do that makes you feel crazy or annoys you it triggers you to feel like now i'm gonna be that or i might be that and i don't like it so then it's really heightened that's interesting yeah i I do i think that's a good point i agree see yourself a bit exactly and in like maybe a scary way and you're almost defining yourself against mom or or dad going now i don't want that life Mm -hmm. you know so now you said kind of attacking it or being critical of it. Yeah. Maybe this gets back to the whole wanting to be different, right? I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, like, I love my parents, but the idea that I will become my parents... That doesn't. That shouldn't happen. I, I should be my own, my own man, my yeah. own person. You yeah. Know, so. I think you have a very interesting life, and I feel mm-hmm. like you have. So just in a, in a nutshell, you graduate from um, Novi High. You go to U of M. You then get your degree in neurosurgery from U of M. Yep. And then I find this very, so then you're, you're pretty immersed, I imagine, in the world of academia and then the world of medicine. Yeah. And then in 2003, you go to Iraq with the invasion of Iraq and become a doctor there. What, how did that come about? I had um, been practicing medicine. I was uh, writing a lot on, on healthcare and uh, I'd become a journalist, you know, um, Mainly, mainly going to talk about healthcare policy. That was my intro. I worked at the White House, uh, writing about those before two thousand three. Before two thousand. Oh, yeah. Back in I worked for the Clinton administration. Late nineties, I worked at the White House. Oh, wow. And it was all healthcare. Uh Healthcare was a big, big issue for the for the Clintons at that time. And um, when I was gonna, when I started working as a journalist, I I, uh, was thinking it was going to be healthcare policy. That was my interest. And then 9-11 happens and the invasion into Iraq and Afghanistan. And I was always interested in, in how people get cared for in, in war zone settings. But all of a sudden I was there as an embedded reporter, or, you know, and, and as it turns out, the only neurosurgeon also within the area that, that I was reporting. So people get injured. They got shot. And uh, they would say to me, hey, man, you know, we know you're here as a reporter, but would you take off your journalist cap and put on your, your surgeon's cap and help us out. And 
Yeah, of course. You, you know, of course you do. That's that's what you do, and so that's that's how it happened. Now I have been in an operating room in Afghanistan. Is that right? When soldiers were just brought back from being shot. Yeah, and it is not like a hospital at Cedar Sinai. It's no. plywood walls. Well, the, the, the the kind of calmness that existed with those guys, I was just real like because for me, of course, it was just chaos. Right, right. And dudes are screaming, and there's blood everywhere, and the X rays are coming real quick, and oh, we have metal here. But the the just to see the chill mode of the surgeons, I was like, they're fucking gangster. Like, <laughs> look how calm, and methodical. It was really cool. I really, I mean, it wasn't cool to see people hurt. It was cool to see how proficient they could take care of people in that setting. Yes. Yeah. No, it was amazing. I mean, I, I, uh, I, like, like you have tremendous respect for those guys. I mean, I, I watched the Gulf War on TV, and I remember seeing the lights and the green screen. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Is that, are those a, is that a missile going up? Is that a bomb falling? I don't know what. It, but you knew people were getting hurt. Yeah. And you knew that there were people rushing in to help them, and the people that were helping in to rush them were total strangers, and they were risking their lives. And I thought, God, it's the most human. I mean, I operate every week at a hospital in Atlanta. I'm not risking my life to take care of somebody. Right. Those guys are doing that. And so when I covered the conflict in 2003 and saw that and it was real, mm -hmm. that I thought I will spend my entire career covering those those stories. Because, yeah. You know, I, I have tremendous respect for what the nurses and doctors do in those situations. Was there something liberating about it getting, and this is not to say that the care there in that situation isn't on par, but but it is a different uh, environment altogether. To me, yeah. it looked way more like survival, down to the basics, yeah. just the hardcore getting in there. There's not all these administrators. There's, there wasn't all. The, you're not filling out computer work. You're, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. There was something more primitive about the healing. You just got to do your job. Yeah, and I wondered if that was a, at all neat or appealing it very, about it. It was very, uh, very neat. I mean, you know, there, there's certainly, you know, this, this, this feeling that you're going to take care of somebody that if you don't take care of them, they're, they're going to die. If you do take care of them, they could be just fine. So there's that, it's that real sort of tension. It's more game day plays, right? Yeah. It's like, it's not planned out. You didn't have six consultations. It's like, it's now you, you do the right thing right now or not. That's right. They need you right now. You, you don't have to fill out paperwork and talk to the administrator, get approvals, you know, try this medication for a while, try yeah. this medication for a while. It's it just do, do your thing. It was, um, it was very gratifying. And the other thing was, I think it showed, it reminded people a little bit of how much you could do with how little, you know? I mean, we have so many resources and it's wonderful. Cedar Sinai, UCLA, all these hospitals, it's great. Yeah. But it does make you realize that we probably use a lot more than we really need. You yes. can get things done with a lot less. And frankly, in most parts of the world, that's what they do. And and again, and is, this gets back to American made or not, you know? Yeah. And is is that why, I, I imagine there's many facets to it, but is that why our health care costs per person are so outrageous? Is, is, is it the endless layers on top of the procedure itself? I think if you had to boil it down to one thing, because uh -huh. people say, well, we have too many specialists, we do too many of these operations, whatever, it's cost, it's price. We charge a lot more money for these same exact things, your hospitalization, the doctor's fees, pharmaceutical costs. I mean, they're ridiculous. You, you've seen the headlines, people jacking up costs in these drugs suddenly thousands of percent. Yeah. And these aren't drugs that, that are brand new drugs that have gone through you know, all this innovation. Some of these have been existing drugs that have been around for years. And some pharma company suddenly says, 
I know a lot of people are dependent on that drug to make their lives better. Yeah. But I'm still going to go ahead and, and raise the cost by a thousand percent. Yeah. And that, that shouldn't be allowed. It's the price of these things more than anything. And is, is, is the price artificially high or is yeah. the price... It is. It is. I mean, there's. I was going to say, is 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 it to cover all the uninsured folks that are coming through the system? Is it is no? I mean, because th th this is the private side of the system. You know, the uninsured folks that are coming through the system oftentimes are paid for if they're getting care by the public side of the system through mm. Medicaid or Medicare, whatever it might be. Right. I you couldn't identify who the buyers and sellers are of products. Like if you were running the system, you'd say, well, you're charging me too much for that. Uh, here's how much I can get for it over here. Give me a better price. Yes. Problem is in, in in healthcare, we don't know who the buyer is exactly. We don't know who the seller is. I was doing an operation on Monday and I asked because I knew I'd be talking about this a little bit. I was doing a spine fusion. I said, how much does this spine fusion hardware cost? Oh, yeah. Very simple question. Yeah. And I got some answer that was a version of, well, that's complicated. It depends. I go, no, 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 that thing right there, <laughs> yeah, that I'm putting the patient, yeah, how yeah. much does that cost? Like, is it $5, $500, whatever? Well, it depends on which hospital it is, which surgeon it is, which department is doing the operation. It is so opaque. Uh, and then who's the buyer there? Is the patient the buyer? Am I the buyer? Is the hospital the buyer? Yeah, I should be able to go online mm -hmm. and order my device yeah. myself. Yes. And roll up with it in a sealed bag and go, hey, I bought the Ultimately, thing. I think the consumers uh, or the patients in this case will probably be people who drive that change in, in ways that like you just described. If you're suddenly the one who's, you know, like I actually seeing a bill here, you may go out and negotiate that price and you're going to be able to do that better than a hospital system could, better than a doctor could. Yeah. Because we, we're not, you know, Medicare can't even negotiate drug prices. They just pay whatever uh, the pharmaceutical that, company tells them to pay. Yeah, that aspect. <laughs> or even like the, the way, you know, the numerous times they've been taken to the cleaners in Florida with the pain mills and all oh, this yeah. stuff, the way, and, and, and again, in theory, the policy is great because right, I, my understanding of why they do that is that they've made a decision. We're never going to be standing in the way of someone getting the medicine they need. Right. Which so in theory has kind of an altruistic policy underpinning that's just very easily exploited. Right. I, there can be good things certainly that come out of uh, these sorts of decisions, but the problem is that the, the ramifications overall for our healthcare system is that there are a lot of people who don't get what they need as a result. Yeah. If the, if the decision was made to say, hey, look, we don't want to get in the way of, of people getting their medications, great. I, I appreciate that it was not malignant motives that, that's, that started this. The problem is that you get tens of millions of people in this country who don't have reliable access to health care. Mm -hmm. And look, if, if you and my wife didn't have reliable access to health care with this autoimmune thing, I mean, some of these drugs were $30,000 a year. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. I mean, there's oh, no yeah. way we could, we could have possibly afforded that. Yeah. And, and that is the reality for tens of millions of people. So, you know, we have a healthcare system where a hundred years from now, people are going to go, so let me get this straight. You guys were so good at, at innovating and creating these new drugs and these new treatments and procedures, and you can scan things from the moon and whatever, and then the people who really needed it couldn't, couldn't have it. access to it? Yeah. And somebody thought that made sense? That was a good idea? These same geniuses, yeah, that could create that stuff. Right. They're so good at innovating, but the idea of actually making it valuable to people, having relevance in their lives. Well, uh, I want to ask now a very, very provocative question. And I've now firsthand witnessed, uh, I've done this twice uh, with my dad and then my stepdad. Is part of this issue that we have a hard time accepting that people are going to die 
Mm-hmm. To me, it seems like we spend a really disproportionate amount of money, resources, and time on people in their last year of their life. Right. Like we just throw the kitchen sink at someone with, in my dad's case, small cell carcinoma. Well, he was going to die in three months, really, no matter what anyone did. And at best, maybe we were going to get six months out of it. But I was just watching the fucking dump truck of of money and options and yeah. all this. And I thought, he's now consuming more medical money then I will probably my whole life until I'm in the same situation. Could we clean up a big chunk of this by just getting more realistic about, hey, people die. Can you even vocalize on that? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we spend most of our our healthcare dollars in in the last couple of years of life. That's very true. You know, that's, that's, uh, I think what is, what is interesting is that it's such an emotional decision, right? I, I mean, this is gonna this I, this example I'm giving. I don't mean it to, to minimize in any way, but I I have I love animals. I, I have a dog, and and my dog, 14 years old, uh, got lung cancer. Uh huh. And and we did Pretty everything. He- heavy smoker. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was I did wonder why I got like what is it in my house? <laughs> yeah, it's a little scary. But the uh, but he had lung surgery. And people, friends of mine, look at you, your dog got lung surgery. Sure, you know, sure. I, chest tube, you know, he had a chest tube. And we did everything for, for the dog. And, and we knew, I mean, that that it probably wasn't going to really extend his life. But we also felt like we couldn't not do it. Uh-huh. And, and I, I'm, just, I'm just being totally honest with you. This isn't a healthcare a policy comment. This is more just a personal comment. Sure. And, and maybe, you know, I haven't gone through this with my parents, but, you know, part, part of me, I, I do wonder, like, you just don't, you want to try everything. I mean, hope is a very powerful sentiment, you know, when mm-hmm. it comes to this. And you always feel like there might be something right around the corner that, that could help them. But, but do was, the adults have to say, guys, we're spending yeah. 45% yeah. of our resources on people that live one more year? Well, uh, yeah. This is untenable? Let, I mean, me, let me tell you something that I think was really interesting. You may know this, but, you know, when the Affordable Care Act got passed in 2009, one of the things that was originally in there was a, a completely paid-for visit with people over the age of 65 and end-of-life counselors mm-hmm. to sit down and say, okay, here, let, let's go through things. If you have this diagnosis, if you find yourself in this situation, it was like a living will plus a lot more. Yeah. And and it was an opportunity for these patients while they're still healthy and in their right minds to really lay out with their families and their doctors how they would want to be treated if they really got sick. Yeah. And there were studies that found, and they did this in other countries, that it dramatically lowered healthcare costs, that people were much less likely to seek aggressive care and, and when they were told what the likelihood of their outcome was going to be. Yeah. You know what those things ended up getting called? Huh. They got called death panels. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, the death yeah, panel, yeah. right? When you heard, you're going to pull the plug on grandma, that's what Obamacare is going to do. It's going to pull the plug on grandma because of these visits that were going to be covered yes. to allow people to talk about Start processing life. that situation before exactly. they're in the middle of it. Yeah, and coming and, up with a game plan. The, that side is the masters at titling things. I got to give it up. I'm for death panels. No but, one's going to say that, right? Right. <laughs> or even the estate tax, t- ch- changing the term the to tax. the death tax. And all of a sudden you see poor people going, like, yeah, don't take away that billionaire's money. And you're it's like, all oh, the messaging. Wow. Yeah, it's really brilliant. <laughs> Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy 
happy price, price line. When it comes to fitness, what's real? How about when it really, truly fits your life? That's how anytime fitness sees it. Because our coaches see you. It's how they build personal plans that work wherever you are and focus on everything that matters, from fitness to nutrition to recovery, all so you can push yourself further than ever or just through the next rep. It's total 360 support for a real difference. That's Anytime Fitness. That's Real AF. Visit anytimefitness.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, I am, I am, I am heartbroken that you and I don't have enough time. I think I could talk to you for three hours. So you have a new docu series. Yeah, it's called uh, Chasing Life. Travel all over the world, uh, looking at what I think are interesting health practices. You know, it's based on this idea that we spend you know trillions of dollars on healthcare in this country. And our life expectancy has gone down three years in a row. We're 23rd in the world. We're expected to continue to drop. And yet there are places around the world that live happier, healthier, longer lives than we do. And I kind of want to know what they're doing and what we can learn from them. Yeah. So I traveled the world finding those things and, and immersing myself in them. And That's right. always a very frustrating thing for me is that we can visually see people yeah. that are doing something better than we're doing and, and then no willingness to adopt that. Yeah. Even I look at like uh, in Scandinavia, right? Uh, your health records uh, are not public yet; they're not closed, right? So they can do these epidemiological studies in five seconds. Like we're over here debating whether or not this certain vaccine gives uh, results in autism, and they figured out twenty. Oh, let's just look. We can look. Oh no, it doesn't. You guys have been arguing about that for years. It's 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 pretty amazing. Uh, you know how they approach healthcare overall. The types of the types of data like that that they can give the people. But just, you know, you, you go to these places that uh, people live a lot better than we do. Yeah. And and um, it's true. Even Kerala in India, um, it's, it's amazing when you look at what is possible and what we could reasonably adopt into our own lives here. Yeah. It's not that hard, some of it. I mean, we, we love the home run. We love the touchdown. We love the big play. Sure. But sometimes you ignore the, the little plays that can have a huge, huge impact on your life. Is there one thing you would say that everyone should be doing daily that would help with these long-term effects? I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you two because there's like a million of them, right? But okay. One is I think you just, when you think about your diet, uh, this isn't necessarily about being vegan or not being vegan, but, but eliminating processed foods and added sugar. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, people say this all the time, but when you look at countries where they have far less heart disease, far less diabetes, far less dementia. Yeah. It's, it, the, the diet is such a big part of it. The other thing I'll tell you, and this is going to sound a little squishier around the edges, but there's a lot of other countries like ours, right? They eat the same foods. They've had the same economic challenges. They've had the same labor force and immigration issues. And, and yet they continue to increase in life expectancy and we continue to go down. And I think it's, it's places that have really invested in the social fabric of a place where people found their tribes, like mm -hmm. you said earlier, you know, you have your people. And I think in the States, you know, it's become this sort of rugged individualism that yeah. has become the yeah. mantra. 
And loneliness and social isolation is a really toxic thing. And we, we haven't really known how to define that. Yeah. But you see places where people live similar lives to us, but they have the social cohesion and it really seems to buffer them from the problems. Well, we're, we're a suffering. social primate. Right. We we're were designed to live a very specific way. Yeah. And, and we've made it easy to not live that way. Right. Yeah. Right. When does this air? This air starts April 13th. April 13th. And it's called? Chasing Life. Chasing Life. And it's on CNN? CNN. Yeah, because yep. you are deep in bed over there. And deep. we are we are happy <laughs> about that. Yeah. It's really fun to hear your opinion. And uh you're, you're very trustworthy and uh, thank you. Appreciate it's that. The you Lebron. gotta come back. You gotta come you back. For, yeah, yeah. I, know, I think I we could do two hours. Like we're just settling in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the Livonia in you. It's really shining. <laughs> it's shining strong. Uh, so Sanjay, thank you so much for coming in. Well, and uh, please watch the docu series. I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Thanks. Thank you. And now my favorite part of the show: the fact check with my soulmate Monica Padman. Man, 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 Boy, that can't be done. Do you think you could do it? No. Oh. I don't. You'll never do it. Never. But that was a nice try. Why'd you do that? I don't know. I'm what? nervous. You're making me so nervous. What? About what? <laughs> I'm Why waiting you... for you to flip. Why are you farting? You're very mercurial. Mic. You're very mercurial. I'm waiting for you to slash out at me. Don't say that. Look at you... that. Even made you, you mercurial. Yes, because you. Okay. <laughs> you push <clears throat> people and test people and trick people and um, <clears throat> also trap people. In trap. That's mainly what you do. Okay. And then you, and then you act like you're right. Hmm. But then now you're here to point out when I'm not right, which is quite frequently. Yeah. Oh, before we get into this yummy fact check, I need to apologize to mm. our Mormon listeners. Yeah, we made a, a mistake. I was cavalier mm -hmm. uh, with my details and I made a mistake. Yeah. It was, it was pointed out to me by a lot of people that Mormons do not believe Jesus was born in the USA. Now, a Mormon did tell me. Uh, they believe everything the Bible says and that when Jesus died, when he ascended into heaven, they believe he then appeared to Native Americans and prophesied in North America. Right. So I just want to say um, I was wrong, yeah. but I didn't pull it completely out of nowhere. I got confused. It was the visit after the resurrection. You knew there was some North American Some visit by Jesus, but yeah. But, but again, I, I, I definitely was wrong. Also, I hope that um, I... I do not wish to offend anyone of any religion. I think I'm, I try to be balanced in my critique of all religions. I'm very open about the fact that I don't believe any of those texts, any mm -hmm. of the religious texts. Uh, but I certainly didn't mean to single out Mormons. Uh, and I apologize. Great. And I apologize for not fact checking it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. That's really my job and I didn't do it. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry. What did we do this weekend? We watched. We're watching oh, we're watching the, the OA. OA. Yes. We're watching the OA. Yeah. And With then, our friends. And, and, and then, of course, this weekend, Game of Thrones starts. <gasps> yeah. So life really takes a turn this Sunday. Yeah. It's very interesting because I don't remember anything that's no. happened in that show. No, and in fact, two nights ago, I started re-watching season seven. And boy, it was like so I was smart. watching it for the first time. I kept thinking like, 
I'm probably going to get bored because I know what's going to happen. I don't. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's so dense. You just forget it all. Are you watching with subtitles? No. If I go back to rewatch, which I would like to do, I'm going to watch with subtitles. That might help with all the confusing names. Names. Yeah. I think it will help with that. Yeah. I'll tell you what I was reminded of, which makes me so happy. The Hound. Oh, the Hound. So yeah. I got obsessed again with the Hound. I was reminded that the Hound's my favorite character. Right. And then I was by myself in bed. I Googled what he looks like in real life. Oh. He's a handsome guy. He is? Yeah. Yeah, he's good looking and he's a big gentleman. Right. That's why you like him. I do like him. And he's, <laughs> yeah, I think it, he's like he was a he was a painter in Scotland or something. Oh. Yeah, you know, with his hands and stuff. You know what I'm saying. Like he did sexual stuff? No, 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 no. Like uh, he's he can build things and stuff. You uh, know, I like that. I like when guys uh, yeah. can like build things and mm -hmm. handle their business. You know? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could care less about that. That's not true. I could care twenty five percent. You think it's hot when a guy's like building some shit? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't. I don't. Yeah, you're right. I do. Okay. I do. I it do. won't be emasculating to people who aren't building. Is that your fear? Well, yeah, because I don't want it to be like, that's the hot thing. It's like a guy who can like build a shed. But let's just say this. So I see what you're saying, but let's just say y you find cyclists hot. You would no problem say I find cyclists hot without fearing that everyone who doesn't cycle now feels less than. Yeah. So it should be the you're same right. with building. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Do you like cyclists? Not particularly, no. They're generally in your way here in L.A., right? Yes. In fact, I'm pretty annoyed by them often. And mostly just because you're nervous you're going to hit them, right? Yeah, and yeah. they're going slower than my car, and I don't want to pass them because I'm nervous, but I'd like to get to my destination. And what sucks is in L.A., they're going slower than your car at times, and they're going faster than your car at times. So if you ever uh, found yourself in the position where you're like, God, I want to pass them right now because I have a little window, but then I'm going to get up to this light, and they're going to pass me, yep. and I'm going to have to do it all over again. Yep. That's and sometimes they're right. Riding right in the middle of the street. Yep, they sure are. Some of them, and some that's of them illegal, are. right? <laughs> I, I have to. I don't know the rules on it. But when I ride my bicycle on the street, I am hugging the curb. I'm not trying yeah. to get in anyone's way. You know what is illegal is you can't ride on the um, sidewalk. Sidewalk, and I, I don't understand that law. Well, I'm real confused, and you know I've got a real issue about this. I can't stop talking about it. It's these fucking scooters you can oh rent all you over are the city. So old I'm, man, I'm about so this. preoccupied. They're just they're littering up the whole city. You can't. <laughs> Look at a corner in L.A. that doesn't have like four or five fucking discarded scooters. I just don't know, like, but because it's transportation, it's cool that they're just littering every corner. I think there's a, you got a bunch of bozos out there renting these things that have, A, never even been on a scooter. B, they don't know if they're supposed to be on the sidewalk or the road. I see them everywhere. Sometimes they're in the middle of the road. Sometimes they're on the sidewalk. People are jumping out of the way. I mean, it is pandemonium, these scooters. Yeah, I do think maybe they should require some sort of license or something. <laughs> something, because it's it's total chaos with these guys. They're jumping curbs. They're... Half the people I see, I can I can tell they are not comfortable on them. They're, they're like out of control. They go like 25. Yeah, they that, go too fast. Yes, it's too fast for someone who's not adept at a scooter. Yeah. In L.A. traffic, up and down the sidewalks. But I like what it represents. It's like anyone can get anywhere. That part's cool. It's democratizing, I yeah. guess. And conceivably, yeah. it's cutting down on traffic. Exactly. I think that probably was the original point. I'm it. sure that was the sales pitch where the city said, yeah. sure, you can litter these fuckers all over. Just leave them in the middle. I'm waiting for some asshole to get off at a stoplight in the middle of the road and just leave it in the no. center of the street. I guarantee you'll see it. No. I...
it's so funny that you care about that. Isn't it? Like, why do you care about that? There's also other things littered all over the street that you don't care about. Like what? Homeless people. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, well, I do care about them. It doesn't, and I'm concerned not, about them. You're really not championing that well, cause. Well, well, no, I, I work with PATH. I've donated money to PATH. I've done move-ins for PATH. <laughs> okay. So you okay. can't say I haven't. You're adjacently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done it to make my wife happy. Yeah, It doesn't take too. away the fact that I gave money and stuff to them. Right. I'm not taking well, away that. you trying to take away my I'm, contribution. I'm not. But do you think you're an advocate for homelessness? I don't know how I feel about homelessness, <laughs> okay, to be totally exactly, honest. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Ethan at work last week brought up, I guess, apparently some some thought experiment by Jonathan Haidt, who we love. Height. Mm -hmm. Height, yeah. Um, that if people want to live on the street, is it? Is it up to us to impose our will on them that they shouldn't be living on the street? Like if there are any kind of um, uh, proposals where there will there'll be housing bill and then it'll be mandatory that they leave the street and get into those houses. His thought experiment is like morally, is there anything wrong with living outside? I guess I'm probably fucking up his whole point. But this mm. this is what the conversation ended up being at work. Okay. Which Ethan was saying, look, if if someone loves living under the overpass, who are you to say that they shouldn't be doing it? Like, what ground are you standing on? What's your moral high ground here? Mm -hmm. You'd have to probably say they don't know what's best for themselves, which gets into a big liberty thing. And I don't know. I wish I knew the exact numbers, but many of the homeless population here is probably not with a mind that they could make that decision. Well, I can say this because in um, in an anthro class, I had to do a, a ethology on Skid Row. So I hung out there for a couple of weeks and I interviewed all these people. And I can just tell you my thing, all, I mean, 90% of the people I talked to were either addicts. Mm -hmm. That was the vast majority. They're sure. just addicts. Yeah. If you're an addict, I know addicts and housing's not the issue. Yeah, but and then another significant percentage, of course, of people that were had been in hospitals or institutions mm -hmm. for mental illness that were now just r r roaming around the streets. Yeah, that's a problem. I think I don't think those people are choosing like if I could pick anywhere in my life to live and I'm do weighing pros and cons, I'm going to pick under the overpass. I don't I mean, think but that's happening. I can't imagine making that decision, but I can't presume to know if someone might not prefer that here's the but here's you're the, walking down the street here you see the you see them you see oh i see a ton yeah they're yeah. all over right by my house yeah they're they are most of the ones because i often will give them food like when we order food for a party i'll go under that vidoc and drop off like a shitload of sandwiches you know mm -hmm. generally the person i give it to is pretty high and I'm like, right. hmm, I don't know if they're really hungry for a sandwich. <laughs> or they're really hungry. No, they get hungry. Oh, that's no, like, they're that'd be hot. hot. Yeah, they're, yeah, well, they're yeah. not smoking weed. You're still hot. Yeah. Here's well, here's the crazier one. You know the feeling I had after watching um, Wild Wild Country uh -huh. when the Rajneeshis mm -hmm. uh, invited all those homeless people from all over the country yeah. to live on the compound, and they. It couldn't be done. They started having to drug them because people were getting violent, and they was not the right decision, but they, they decided to drug them. Mm -hmm. Eventually, a couple of them choked uh, Ma Nad Sheila, my girlfriend, uh, almost killed her. And my conclusion after seeing that, I was like, okay, well, the history of why we have so many homeless people, one of the big reasons is there were all these exposés in the 80s about 
mental institutions and how they were just like worse than solitary confinement in a mm. prison. They were just yeah. horrendously run and people yeah. were just chained to wall. I mean, it was so terrible Yeah, that the answer was just to shut them all down. They didn't think like, oh, well, let's, let's make them. Fix them. Yeah. So yeah. they shut them all down. Then they just dumped all the people They're onto the streets. Yeah. So then I was thinking, okay, well, it's not better for them to be in some leaky, damp, fucking isolation in a mental hospital yeah. the, the streets are a better option for that in la at least it's warm i'm driving around all day long i'm seeing thousands of them a week i don't see any violence you're not re seeing it in the news all the time well, it's no. not like a huge violence problem and then i was like well even if you built uh, a beautiful compound up in oregon like the rajneeshis did you send them there that won't work and i started thinking is this the best solution i think the solution is you make those in places better Make those places livable and 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 rehabilitative as opposed to a horrible place. That I just not, don't wonder if have you, to be that. Well, I guess the big thing is, can they leave? And if they can't leave, then they're incarcerated. Yeah. And if they can leave, would they just leave? I, I have a hunch that a big chunk of people would just leave and choose not to live in an institution. They'd rather just be walking around downtown L.A. I don't know if they would rather. We don't know if we haven't had the option of having good care. Yeah. I also think a lot of cities have built the housing. And I think there's like fiscally conservative people are opposed to that. Like, why would we give these people all these all these resources and not people who are like working, but they're under the poverty level, but they're actually working. So great. But that's a logical thought. But in those cities where they've built lots of housing for them the toll that they take on the emergency room visits on the police department on the arrests when you add up all the expenses of s someone incurs living on the streets it's much cheaper for us to actually just have housing for them mm -hmm. so in that case it's still more or some of these cities at least it's more fiscally responsible also just, those people are complaining about the problem those people are complaining. Like they don't like. But, yeah, they don't like that there's a bunch of homeless people everywhere. Sure. So sure. if you want a solution to that, yeah. that's the solution. It's going to cost money. If you're fine with your city just having homeless people everywhere, then. Well, that's where I'm actually I, myself. I've been exploring that thought. Like, is it time for me to just be fine with this? It seems no. weird, right? And it seems yeah defeatist. Like I don't surrender. Think it's. I don't think it's a good place to get to know that you're okay with seeing people on the brink of death basically only if you know they have help them well only if you know they have options that options exist and they're not taking them then it's a pretty guilt-free uh-huh assessment i think no yeah. that person wants to live under a bridge yeah i just don't think we have that right only all. only after we would have all those services would we know i think so okay well that was a big tangent so he was talking about his mom was a partition child. The partition was in August 1947. British India won its independence from the British and split into two new states that would rule themselves. The two new countries were India and Pakistan. East Pakistan has since become Bangladesh. The partition of India forced millions of people to leave their homes to move to the other state. This was the largest forced migration of people that had ever happened, which was because of war or famine. Mm. His mom was all caught up in that. Yeah. I watched a little bit of his a little um, episode of his uh, CNN show where he went home with his mom, who oh. had not been there since she was eight years old oh, or really? six years old. Yeah. 
and she like knew the house she lived in. Oh, that's yeah, crazy. it was really wild what she remembered. Yeah. And she said that, which which came up on the podcast, that she left on a cargo ship just packed in with people. Right. Oof. Uh, Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin, professional wrestler. Yeah. He acted like I didn't know who that was. but I, I acted that way? No, he did. Oh, he did. He just said you're too young. Oh, that. but you know Stone Cold. Yeah, I think, every, I think that's just like a name in the zeitgeist people know. You think he's reached the Hulk Hogan status? I just, think. You know Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Yeah. Stone Cold. Yeah. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Sure. That's There's one other it. one. Goldberg. I feel like I know that one even though I didn't watch Goldberg, I don't know. Then. That's a That's a guy. He's a big one, right? Goldberg. Yeah, WCW guy. Yeah. But he's not, no, he's not a name that everyone knows. Well, you also know there's a lot of Stone Cold Steve Austin jokes on Good Place. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so you're hearing that I there. Am hearing it. But that's why they can make that joke because it, it's so ubiquitous that they can do that. That's if someone right. did Goldberg, that would not hit. And you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin's thing is he'd come into the ring and he'd have two beers and he'd fucking pop them open and slam 24 ah. ounces of beer right in front of everyone. Yeah. And then get to wrestling. That's a cool move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wish, you know, I just don't You don't like, like that wrestling. part? Oh, you don't like wrestling. <laughs> I just don't. That John Oliver piece was really funny, though, where he's like, it's just good, okay? It's just good oh. entertainment. <laughs> he kept showing clips of uh. all the things that were happening. Yeah. Yeah. It was critical of Ed McMahon. That's not his name. Vince. <laughs> Vince McMahon. Ed McMahon was the guy Johnny Carson's side, side. Well, that too. Yeah. yeah. Publisher's Clearinghouse. I think that's what he's most known for. If you're your age. If but he was mind. the sidekick on The Tonight Show for oh. 15, 20 Well, his years. legacy is that he brings checks to he also, checks to people's houses. He was on an episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous when I was younger. Oh. And he had built his daughter a complete replica of their mansion, but miniature size in the backyard. Like a dollhouse? Mm -hmm, oh. That she could walk around in and stuff. What? Yeah, it was probably like a thousand square foot miniature version of their big house. And it was on lifestyles of the rich and makes famous. No sense. <laughs> Why would you build a small house of? It's not like she doesn't live there. She lives in the big house. It should be a different house. Maybe he wanted to give her the experience and pride of owning the house and being oh and being almost to the ceiling in the house. Maybe being a giant. I do wonder when the people because he certainly that they don't live in that house now someone bought a house and there was a miniature version of the house in the backyard do you keep that i'd be creeped out i probably would keep it though Me because too. someone put a lot of effort in that that's right maybe turned into some kind of an animal but i'd be scared shelter. that 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 a girl ghost would be living in there okay in a little white dress yeah mm -hmm. scary yeah is, was that like Cribs before Cribs? Yes. Okay. Robin Leach was the the host okay. of, of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And I loved I that bet. show. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did I love it? Yeah. Seeing all those lifestyles of those rich and famous. There's something so titillating <laughs> about that. I know. It's just you're just dreaming like, oh, my gosh, if I had a mansion, a miniature version of the mansion in the backyard yeah. for my child. Yeah. Okay, so you said something about the Aztecs, and I couldn't find anything. About brain surgery? Yeah, but you said, like, the hit, hitting on the heads, and then it was cured. Well, it's not that understand. it was— Yeah, so they've found all these skeletons that yeah. date back 15,000 years. Uh-huh. 
and they have found skulls that have clear incisions in them, which would be one thing. That could be an axe wound or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then they see um, that the bone healed itself. So the person survived that brain procedure, mm -hmm. that skull procedure. That the bone grew back over where the incision was, which proves that they were doing it and the patients were living. I see. They were successful at these brain procedures. Got it. Yeah, I couldn't find anything about the Aztecs and... Uh, medicine i found a little bit but it wasn't it wasn't what you were talking about i could be wrong it was a it was a, a an amer amer we would have said amerindian i don't know if we still do oh native but, american but south america machu picchu uh -huh. the moche all these groups right. I, I think it's more the machu picchu folks whoever okay. inhabited that okay neanderthal i say neanderthal yes you do oh <laughs> neanderthal <laughs> brains i can't do it you i want, won't it's do fine. it fine i don't want you to i know i'm that way about a lot of words i just won't do it yeah don't do it okay neanderthal brains mm -hmm. you said were 1650 mm -hmm. cc's mm -hmm. in size and that the modern homo sapien sapien brain is 1500 yeah from what I could find, Neanderthals are known for their large cranial capacity, which at 1,600, the average cranial capacity of Homo sapiens is roughly 1,300 cubic centimeters. Oh. Yeah. So an even bigger. Gap. Yeah. That's changed because when I learned it, it was 15, but that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a big gap. Yeah. It is a big gap. Now, the question is, is the... Is the brain or the right parts bigger? Right, that's what he was sort of saying. Mm -hmm. Is it doesn't size isn't really what matters. I have a very provocative theory that's not good. The majority of Neanderthals lived in Gaul and Germany. You know, uh, uh, east Eastern France and Germany. Okay, and is now known that they didn't go extinct. They interbred with Homo sapiens, so they were absorbed into Homo sapiens sapiens. Uh, Germans, uh, they're great at engineering. They really are smart. You look at uh, Einstein and a lot of our chemists and uh, yeah. engineers, they got a real, they got something going on over there. And I think that 1600 brain CC has been absorbed in that population. That's why they're so good at math and engineering. Yeah. I, I, they're also, I don't think when you go to true. Germany, like those guys are a little stouter and their forearms are bigger which are all signature signs of Neanderthal body type. Okay. So I think that the Neanderthal is really alive and well in Germans. Okay. He said that size does not is not an indicator. It's not the only indicator, right. R right. I mean, also But if, they, if their brain was the exact same uh, design as ours, but just bigger, it would they would be smarter. If like well, the neocortex no, was the same proportionally. If the, if his their cities were denser, mm -hmm. then Yes. Yeah. But there could be, there's plenty of gray matter and all of that. Yeah. I'm just saying if the brains are all being equal and one's bigger, then they're going to be smarter. And there are tons of people in Asia who are amazing at math. I would say the majority of the good math people are in Asia. They're good at practicing math. They're not great at inventing new theorems and driving the, the, the discipline forward. That that's not the same thing then as being uh, create your creative portions are not necessarily the same thing as your math portions. If you're your creating brain. within math, yes, then that part of your brain is not only understanding all the, the current math, but able to comprehend a math that no one else has even comprehended yet. Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I just don't think 
I don't think that's true. Like, well, I guess my point would be you could get a computer to do math better than any human, but you can't get a computer to invent a new math or the theory of relativity or. I mean, some some people would say otherwise in regards to AI that eventually that AI will be able to. In the to. future, it might be able to. Uh -huh. I'm just saying currently it can't. Right. Currently. Yeah. Okay. Balsam of Peru. Ooh. Yeah. Also known and marketed by many other names, is grown in Central America, primarily in El Salvador and South America. Used in food and drink for flavoring, in perfumes and toiletries for fragrance, and in medicine and pharmaceutical items for healing properties. It has a sweet scent. In some instances, it's listed on the ingredient label of a product by one of its various names, but it may not be required to be listed by its name by mandatory labeling conventions. It can cause allergic reactions with numerous large surveys identifying it as being in the top five allergens most commonly causing patch test reactions. Mm. May cause inflammation, redness, swelling, soreness, itching, and blisters, including allergic contact dermatitis, inflammation, and soreness of the mouth or tongue. Ooh. Yeah, lots of gross, lots, lots of, of yucky lots stuff. Lots of stuff. And he was saying this was the thing that was triggering his wife's they, psariatic arthritis, yeah, that's right? that's what they thought. Yeah. 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 I'm so glad that he um, was up for that theory. Because I, I really think that's what's going on with everyone. So we talk a little bit about uh, Ayurvedic medicine. Mm. And you you say, like, you don't really, you don't know if they know the science behind it. Right. Uh, but I feel like they do. Like, I think in the same way that the way that we're measuring things out based on chemical pills, basically, I think they're doing that with herbs. Like they know, oh, this causes, when I see this, yeah, I think they're essentially I, doing the same thing. I agree with you. The result is the exact same, but their explanation of why this ingredient may trigger inflammation might actually be a metaphysical reason or a spiritual reason, yeah. as opposed to the chemistry. They'll never say, oh, well, this binds to this receptor and this hemoglobin then does this. Yeah. It doesn't matter because the result's the same, but they might give it more of a metaphysical reasoning for why it's doing that thing. So that's kind of my point is that they yeah. might think like there's all these uh, it's a um, it's a, a Brett Weinstein thing that you can have a, a, a truth that is founded in an error. But by doing it, you can have a result that's positive. Remember he was talking about that? Yeah, but I guess that's what, that's what I want to maybe not say. We don't know that what they're basing it on is an error. It could be in total. We don't, it's just not done in a um, laboratory. They're not breaking down chemicals and explaining to you why it's happening on a yeah. biochemical way. Th they're not, but they are, they are in some ways like more, Turmeric is anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. Like think it is like these herbs and these things do this to your body. Yes. So in in that way, to me, it's like the same. And theirs is just over so long of observation to figure out those things. Yeah, their approach is all um, trial and error. Yeah. That's why I I paralleled it with Marconi, which is like he did create long wave totally. a wireless radio. Yeah. But he didn't understand what was going on with the physics. Like when okay. he, he was designing towers, he could have, had he understood the physics, he could have started by designing a tower correctly, but mm -hmm. instead he had to do 10 towers to, to stumble upon the right. Right. Yeah. My dad said that once when he was younger, 
late teens or early 20s or something, he had some weird like face thing on his face. Like a fungus? Like maybe, yeah. And then he went to, (laughs) so he went to the real doctor and then nothing, like a dermatologist and nothing was happening. And then a friend recommended that he go to this Ayurvedic doctor. Mm -hmm. So he went and the guy who norm, like the owner of this place uh, wasn't there, but his son was there. And so his son like gave him med- medicine. It was a pill. It was in like a uh, capsule. Oh, it wasn't a salve. It wasn't a topical. No, okay. it was a real pill. A digestive pill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, you know, he went in the back and mixed something up and then made it oh. into a pill and then gave it to my dad. And then it didn't work. So oh. he was like, oh, this is bullshit. This is bunk. Yes. But then he, so he was like still having these face issues. Mm-hmm. So then he went back and then the original the real guy was there the dad the od the original dad the original doctor (laughs) was there and he he saw it he looked at him for like one second then went in the back and did his thing okay and then my dad took it and like the next day the next day it cleared up clearing up so, but he took this pill and by gosh, it just disappeared. Now, did he ever have to go back for more of those pills or does he keep gone a little on? forever. Long... Gone for one time treatment forever? <laughs> well, he might have had to take it for like a week or something, but he never had that I want to go again. see that person it about may, my it, arthritis. I know. I thought that when he told me that story, I was like, I would like for all my friends who have these chronic ailments yeah. to see this. He's probably not alive. Although maybe he is alive. <laughs> He's probably going to live to 200. I hope If he can so. just go back and whip the shit up. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anywho, so I believe in it. Hey, I was the first to say it worked for me, you yeah. know? Yeah. I think and I was, did I sound derogatory towards them just by saying I don't know if they understand exactly what's going on? I, no, I just I just don't know if that's true, and I mm. want to be clear about that. Like, I think they do know because <clears throat> I think in the same way that he looked at my dad and was like, oh, I know what this is, and I know the things that will mm-hmm. add together. Like, it's still chemistry, I think. Sure. It's just using different ingredients. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I don't really, I don't know enough about it either. Right. But I do believe in it. Do you like a- acupuncture? No, but I know a lot of people that get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. I tried it a couple different times and I didn't find it to really do anything for me. Yeah. I've gotten in. I liked it. but You it, did? Yeah. And did you feel like burning or anything fun at the sites? Oh, no. no. Oh, that's what I would want to feel like. If you put a needle in my back uh-huh. and I felt intense heat. Oh. Coming from the needle, I'd be like, ooh, something's actually happening. Oh, no, I didn't feel that at all. Okay. I have a really funny story about one of the times I did it. Okay. So my friend's wife is a doctor, an ER doctor, but she also does um, acupuncture and believes in it. Oh. And I was having back problems, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And at the time, they had three little kids. And she said, okay, well, go into the living room and lay on the couch and uh, pull your pants down. And I was already like, okay, well, all right, she's a doctor. So I'm laying on the couch and I have like my shirt pulled up uh-huh. and then I have my pants like halfway down, my butt cheeks are showing. Right. And in the middle of it, one of the, the daughters came in <gasps> and my buddy's wife was like, well, this is great. She's interested in this. I'd like to show her how all this works. So Uh, The little girl is like kind of helping mom out. Mom's putting needles in me. And then the little girl starts gently just touching my butt cheek saying, it's okay. (gasps) It's okay. And my buddy walked in (laughs) and basically his whole family is just at my butt cheeks. And his daughter is petting 
four. She's probably like Delta's age. Oh my God. Saying, it's okay. And my friend walks in and he goes, Oh, Maron, look at what is happening in here. And then just turned around and walked out. And I was like, I, I don't want to be in this position either. Whoa, <laughs> that's really funny. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, how much money is spent on end-of-life care? Turns out there's some controversy on this. Uh, according to healthaffairs.org, although end-of-life medical spending is often viewed as a major component of aggregate medical expenditure, accurate measures of this type of medical spending are scarce. We use detailed healthcare data for the period 2009 to 11 from Denmark, England, France, Germany, Japan, the Netherlands, Taiwan, the United States, and the Canadian province of <clears throat> Quebec to measure the composition and magnitude of medical spending in the three years before death. Mm. In all nine countries, medical spending at the end of life was high relative to spending at other ages. Spending during the last 12 months of life made up a modest share of aggregate spending, ranging from 8.5% in the U.S. to 11.2% in Taiwan. But spending in the last three calendar years of life reached 24.5% in Taiwan. Three years. Mm. This suggests that high aggregate medical spending is due not to last-ditch efforts to save lives, but to spending on people with chronic conditions, which are associated with shorter life expectancies. Hmm. So, I guess it's... I don't, but that's their conclusion. I wonder if I agree with that, just based on the numbers they just threw at us. Why? Do you think I have the ability to disagree with the conclusion? I don't know. I just, I've witnessed it twice where it's like, there's no way my dad gobbled up like of like his lifetime expenditure on medical stuff. Yeah. I feel like the last six months of his life was half of his whole life expenditure and same right. with my stepdad, maybe even more for him. So he was never at the doctor yeah. and then, you know, just right. hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. in the last two years. What I'd love to see is a study of the total amount of money spent last year in America on healthcare, right? Let's say it was a trillion dollars. Uh -huh. And then what percentage of that was spent by people in their last year of life? And if it were like 20% of that trillion dollars was spent, that would that's what I am suspicious is the case. Yeah. And I think- I think that's what that a lot of people say. And I do think the numbers between 20 and 25 people say, mm. but- but it says here, spending during the last 12 months of life made up a modest share of aggregate spending, ranging from 8.5% in the U.S. Mm -hmm. to 11, whatever, that's Taiwan. But they're saying 8.5% of the total amount spent. Yeah. But then you're going, okay, well, how many people died under care in the U.S. last year? And it was 100,000. There's 300 million people that are getting yeah. normal care. Yeah. 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 It's pricey. Yeah, we throw is. a lot of money and resources at it. We do. I mean, I don't know that I think it's bad to do that. I just don't think it, again, this is just having gone through it twice. I don't know that it has a ton of impact in many cases. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There are certainly, even with um, Barton, there were a couple different medical options offered where it was going to be 60000 a month. Oh, my God. And at best, the best case, it said it added nine weeks of life. Right. And then I read this crazy article in the New York Times about like these kind of decisions you're making where it's like $180,000 for 12 more weeks in the right. best case scenario. And people having to make that decision. I know. What a decision to make. And a lot of people end up having to make it. And I, I just, know. 
I guess for me, if I'm in that position, I hope that I go, guys, let's not yeah. <laughs> just blow a bunch of money for 12 more I weeks. I know. The thing is, I don't think it's the pe the person. No. It's the people around them that want 12 more weeks. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And in that moment, you're like, yeah, I'll pay everything I got to spend 12 more weeks with right. you. But then a year later, you're like, hmm, I spent everything I had. Right. And was those 12 weeks really? Yeah. Because also. In my experience, they're bad 12 yeah, weeks. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, he had fucking radiation on his brain like weeks before he died. I was like, Dad, why are we? Right. Like, and he wanted to keep going. He did. He they did. came in and the guy was like, look, you know, you have considerable uh, cancer in the brain. And I said to the doctor, I said, is it the only reason I would say yes to this? Is it more painful for him to die of the brain cancer mm -hmm. than it would be the lung cancer or whatever one of these cancers? Sure. And he said, no, that's not like one's more or less. And I was like, then I don't see yeah, why you'd want to go through radiation. And then he went through all that radiation. And all it did is just he he slid downhill very fast after the radiation. Yeah. And it was all this money. And I don't think it helped anything. And yeah. he died weeks later, you know. I know. So for me, that was like a bad version of that. Right. And when you're, it all depends like under what lens are you evaluating it? So it, it, it's in a bubble on its own in a vacuum. Yes, you just do it right. But then when you start looking at the fact that there maybe there's 300 million Americans and that we have a finite amount of money we're going to spend. And are we going to spend, you know, a big chunk of that mm -hmm. on people that, you know, going from 12 more weeks to 16 more weeks versus shift that money over to a kid who's going to get yeah. a ton of preventative care. Yeah. Then now it is a real moral quandary. I know. It's not a moral quandary if you're rich and you are and you want to throw money at that, whatever. Yeah, you but, can do whatever you want with mm -hmm. your money. Yeah. But when you look at the fact that most of the health care in the country is subsidized in some fashion or another, is that how we want to spend money? Or do we right. want to spend it on younger people who have yeah. their whole life ahead of them? Well, yeah. I mean, it's also weird. It's also tricky because in our system, like the young people are paying for the old people to mm -hmm. have that. So I guess you. Yeah, that's how the pool works. Yeah. And is that fair? I guess. Estate tax. And death tax. Death tax. An inheritance or estate tax is a tax paid by a person who inherits money or property on the estate of a person who has died. The term death tax was first coined in the 1990s to describe estate and inheritance taxes by those who want the taxes repealed. Frank Ian Luntz is an American political consultant, pollster and public opinion guru, best known for developing talking points and other messaging for various Republican causes. His work has included assistance with messaging for Newt Gingrich's contract with America and public relations support for pro-Israel policies in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He advocated use of vocabulary crafted to produce the desired effect, including use of the term death tax instead of estate tax and climate change instead of global warming. Mm -hmm. Interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Very effective, both. Yeah. Both of those. And you know what's funny for me is I am uh, personally opposed to estate tax mm -hmm. because I already paid taxes on this money. Mm -hmm. I made the money. I gave half of it to the government. This is now my money. Uh -huh. You got your, you took your half. Yeah. And now you're going to take half again if I want to give it to my kids. Yeah. So I hate it. Right. With that said, I also recognize where the country goes if we're just passing on multi-generational wealth to people who don't have to do anything. And then other people are born mm -hmm. and they, they don't have that. So I think the system yeah. invariably would become hugely lopsided if we weren't Didn't taking have back half that. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah. So ultimately, I think for society and the country, it's a good thing, even though I personally don't want to. That makes sense. My kids to pay it. Yeah, that mm -hmm. makes sense. That's all. That's it? Yeah. All right. Well, I sure hope he comes back. Me too. We did not get enough time. No, he was yummy like you've all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like time just boogied by with him. And he kept dropping these little nuggets like he worked for the Clintons and all these things that we could have just talked to about for so long. Went to war. Yeah. We talked a little bit about that. Yeah, but how cool to be there as a journalist and then just start operating on people. I know. To have a real skill like that. Yeah. That no matter what you're in town doing, you're on vacation, you're there yes. as a journalist. And the need arises and that you got to spring into action. It's kind of like a superhero. Well, I like I, it. I know. I always think that on the airplane, like when they have to be like, is there a doctor mm -hmm. on here? And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm always so happy when there's a doctor and there's, there's always, always one. They're and flying everywhere. I'm so happy about that. And mm. I, I do feel like that. I'm like, thank God there are people out in the world with that skill that can save someone on an airplane. Yes. Has that ever happened? I have to imagine a lot of them are in a dicey situation though. Cause like if you're an oncologist and they say, is there a doctor on a plane? You have to say, yes, you're a doctor, yeah. but you might not know shit about clearing an airway. But they know, they do. They, <laughs> they all still have know? some basic knowledge. Better than us. Way better. Okay. And I think I would be what willing What have they to, been drinking though? They've most certainly <laughs> been drinking. You know, they're on that airplane. They're not expecting to see any patients. I and then know. all of a sudden they have a patient. They're probably, again, still better. Still better drunk than a regular person. Than me dead sober. sober. Yeah. Although I do think I could perform a okay. tracheotomy I mean, if necessary. No. Yeah, you hollow out a ballpoint pen, a Bic pen, and then you just slam it into the esophagus to get that air in there. I'm willing to do it to save your life. But, well, please <laughs> ask around if there's a doctor before you start. No, I also have the fantasy. The neck with a pen. You know, I also have the fantasy that they're going to go, is there a pilot on board? And there's not. Oh. And then I will volunteer. I think of anyone on the plane that's not a pilot that might have the best chance of landing it with instruction from air traffic control. I think I'm the guy. Why? I have this fantasy all the time. I'm like, I'm so yeah. good with mechanical devices. I could definitely <clears throat> land this plane if coached to do so. So confident. <laughs> Well, let me ask you: Would you, if, if do you want, do would you rather you land it or me? Definitely you, of okay, course. Okay, but, but but I don't know who else is on the plane. I'd have to hear everybody else's story. Oh, we too. don't have time for that, Monica. We'll just go. Oh, this guy races motorcycles and cars. He's certainly the next think, in line to land this airplane. I don't know that. What do you think, the stewardess the or the stewards? I actually, probably would. No. Somebody who's on a plane all the time. The being on the plane does no, no, no. They need they need a, a field with throttle, with with thrust, with braking. You know, all these kind of things that I just saying, I, if I if I'm on a plane and they need a pilot, I'm the guy. If there's no pilot. Also, I flew in a helicopter in the passenger seat and he let me fly for a minute when I was on without a paddle and I did a darn good job. Okay. Without any instruction. Okay. And I was like, I could if all hell breaks loose, I'm the guy out of Lillard, Seth and I, I'm gonna fly this helicopter. Yeah, a helicopter. I bet I think Seth, because he's been he sits in that cockpit all the time. He says he likes doing that. Remember, he said that when he was on the He would sit in the jumper seat of yeah, the airplane. Jumper seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I still cockpit, think, he, I've right? driven with him. I still think you'd want me to land the helicopter. And that's no disrespect to Seth. He's an amazing person. But it's not this, how do you know? It's not, I'm going to ask Kalen. We have, a, we have a friend who's a pilot, and I'm mm -hmm. going to ask how similar of our it is friend to driving group. a car. No, no, car. I make no claim that it's similar to driving a car. <laughs> 
I'm just saying I've raced. I don't get I don't get nervous. Uh, okay. I've been in the shit. Off road racing is there's a river where there wasn't one when you when you when you pre ran. Yeah. I'm used to like shit's going sideways and I'm staying calm. Okay, that's stay that's calm. the ingredient you need to land the plane with no training. Okay. My heart rate would be a steely 87 beats a minute <laughs> while I brought down the 747. But there might be a skill that better parallels than driving a car that I would prefer over the calmness. That like an actual calmness skill. is number one. Well, I'm calm. It's under pressure. Are you? You think if you yeah, were landing fire. a 747 and you're listening to air traffic control and they're like, "There's a there's a knob on your right. Turn that 80 degrees." Uh -huh. Pull this back. You you would be your heart rate would be good. Yeah. Then I nominate you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think I'm calm under fire? I've not seen you under fire. Uh, I know I, that you're was, afraid of people in the street and stuff. You tell me you have a lot of fear, so I'm my my hunch. I is, also did tricks. High flying ass. Yeah, uh -huh. and that was a lot of pressure. Yeah, that's true. And I stayed calm. You were also on beta blockers. No, oh, I wasn't. I'm I've teasing. never done that. <laughs> teasing. All right. All right. I love you. I love you. <laughs> You're on the fence today. No, I love you. <laughs> okay, good night. <laughs>